Hey listeners, I just want to apologize. Uh, this recording has a little bit of skipping throughout, uh, especially before we get to the, the main game section. Hopefully it wasn't too bad, at least I didn't think so. However, if you do notice that some segments jump a little bit unexpectedly, that's probably why. Player Podcast, the show on Solitaire Board Gaming. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 140. Albert, we must to save the kingdom! On the unicorns! Do we ride unicorns in this game? No. Sorry, oh. doesn't work like that. Albert, okay. what have you got for me? Lay it on to me. I need news. Julius, welcome. We got news. Uh, boy, that's sudden and brusque, but okay. What's sudden? Uh, this is old news that we've been saving for a while. The, our intro, we didn't jump into like hot pleasantries. We just okay. went straight into the news. Oh, sorry, sorry, Albert. So, so I've got a bunch of news. No, no, it's, it's fine. The news is important. The news can't wait. This is a, it's old news anyway, so we really should hurry up on it. You people all already know about this, no doubt. Jet, but uh, Portal Games announced a bunch of solitaire-related stuff for 2018. Right, first up, Detective, a, mer- a modern crime board game. Uh, this is a neat game, right? It's coming out sometime this year around Gen Con is the plan. And it, um, and it uses an on- online DB and Taris, which I guess, I'm guessing it's some sort of app or something they're going to use. Or maybe that's a real database I've never heard of. And real world resources. You know, like for example, you go into Google Maps and Wikipedia to your, do your research to play this game. You know, it's like you're playing the game and it tells you, oh, you know, there's a cafe near this place, check that out. So you go to Google Maps and, you know, find the location and start looking on it for a cafe. And that will be a clue. So that that sounds pretty neat and pretty unique. Um, it is definitely blending a board game and digital, uh, but in the most unique way I've seen yet by far. So that is one game coming out at uh, Gen Con 2018. Then the Portal also announced two new expansions for Imperial Settlers. Uh, we, we've talked about that game before, a fun little card game. The first one is uh, called Amazons. That's a new a new uh, deck new faction. for a new um, empire, I guess. In this one, faction, thank you. you. This faction, you play Amazons. No. Um, you know, and so far, each faction they've introduced... <laughs> yeah, it's true. They each introduced something a little bit different to the game. In this case, it has a little bit of deck building, apparently. Um, I didn't see how that works exactly, but there is some opportunity for deck building while you play. Um, at least specific to that faction. Usually when they, when they add one of these faction decks, there are other cards that are used with the other factions, too. And sometimes whatever new rules... They add somehow also work with these other factions, so maybe maybe everybody gets to do a little bit of deck building. I doubt it. Um, the second item they mention is another small vet, uh, pack, which is a. We didn't start the fire. Um, this is one of the small boosters. Generally, they include cards for all the empire so factions so far. Um, I don't know which comes out first, but maybe it'll include stuff for that. These... Actually, We Didn't Start the Fire is for May. Uh, Amazons is for Q3 or Q4. So I'm guessing We Didn't Start the Fire will not have anything for Amazons. And finally, probably Q4, towards the very end of this year, will be the long-awaited Mystery Tales for Robinson Crusoe. Um, if you remember when we talked to Ignacy, was it last year? Maybe the year before? I think it was last year. He, we talked briefly about the, an expansion he's working on from Robinson Crusoe. This is a bigger expansion, sort of like the, uh, the Beagle, of course. Alright. Um, if you recall, there's already an expansion from Robinson Crusoe called Voyage of the Beagle, that is about Darwin's voyages, right? And this is sort of a campaign kind of game. This expansion comes out as similar, it's a campaign game. Uh, I imagine it plays differently. What's interesting here, it's a sort of a horror setting in which it's not necessarily mythos exactly, but it's going to be sort of that style of creepiness. You know, I, I don't know that you're going to have Cthulhu in there or not. 
when Ignacy t- mentioned it to, to us last year, he did say he was working on something Cthulhu-related. The recent descriptions, alas, don't sound like that. Yeah, so this one has a campaign. It's called The Lost City of Z, which is what I'm calling Lovecraftian, and not, but not necessarily. Uh, but it includes 10 new characters, a new deck of event cards, lots of different stuff. Um, new beast cards. So so it's going to add a lot to the base game even. It, um, spring it up, make it fresh. I assume it's compatible with the original edition because I don't think the new edition is really any different. Just the look of it really and the cleaned up rules. Um, there we go. That's And that's it. That's all the news I have for Portal games. These... Four items that they mentioned, all solo-friendly for 2018. They mentioned other stuff. The other stuff was not necessarily solo-friendly, so I ignored it. Phew. I'm glad we got through that. <laughs> and the real reason why I want to get started is because, man, I wanted to give a rant. Oh, yeah, the Lord of the Rings. I really wanted no, to no. give a rant, but I, I had to defer to you because you were first on the list here, but, man, I really want to give a rant. I'm interrupting you in your Lord of the Rings. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, I see. I recently got... A, I recently traded for a copy of everything Flashpoint. I really enjoy Flashpoint. I like it. It's a relaxing crowd thought. It's fun, thematic, very good co-op, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So mm-hmm. I recently traded to get a copy of everything for it. So now I have all the stuff for it, basically, except for Veterans and Dog. Um, and now I have like six or seven rule books across all these expansions. And I was like, well, maybe somebody online has a comprehensive rule book for all of the Flashpoint stuff. And various people have posted and said, oh yeah, we actually made and put together a nice comprehensive rule book, but Indie Boards and Cards, the publishers of it, keep putting down takedown notices for it saying, no, don't publish nice, helpful stuff for our board game. Don't put it on BGG hmm. because you know, that's RIP. Like, really? Really? That's that's. I mean, what well, are they, are they are they like copying images and stuff like that? I mean, Is that what's yes, going on? They're trying to make it mesh well with the theme of the other ones. They're taking uh, look and things like that. They're making it look nice. They're making it look like it wasn't typed up on a word document in plain black and white font. Yes, they're making it look nice. Everyone else encourages this kind of stuff because it does nothing but bring value to their own games. It makes people want to play them more. And here we have indie board yeah. cards saying, no, absolutely don't. Don't publish this sort of stuff. It's so anti-consumer. I so hate indie boards and cards. It, it is. And you know, actually, I, I don't like ranting, but you can, when you upload something on BGG, for example, you could say, I have permission from the owner and it is under copyright and on BGG, right. right? It's listed that way. So I don't, you know, I don't know what they're worried about. They're not going to lose their rights to it by being put there. Who's not going to lose their rights to it? And, and like you said, people are going to love it. Yeah, they won't lose. Oh, their you're rights. saying they won't rights? No, they won't lose their rights. No, that's very true. You're right. Right. They won't. So what? So they they, they shouldn't worry about it. I mean, and like so, like you're no, saying, they totally shouldn't. May as well do something. I mean, that makes I remember way back when there's a promo that they gave out with the original Flashpoint, which. The very first Kickstarter they mm-hmm. did for it, there was a book of puzzles, um, which you could go through and you can write down your solution to the puzzle and try and do it. Yeah, training Academy. Training exactly. Academy. And it was a PDF document. And they had said that it was a Kickstarter exclusive, but it's literally just a digital PDF. And I tried to post it up. I tried to trade it with people. I tried to personally give it away. And they sent me a message saying, no, you absolutely can't give it away. We do not let. They they would not let me give it to other people. Absolutely ridiculous. I will say that there's a certain, that there are definitely places on the internet that you can find it if anybody wants it because they're jerks. But I just, uh, yeah, but how how can you give a PDF away and they know that you gave it away? Because and I no posted people it. on BGG to post, hey, anybody have this? And I said, sure, I'll give it to you. Within posting it, they would send me a geek mail saying, no, don't do this or report you. I kid you not. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and they technically own the rights of the PDF. Yeah, they do. Legally, they can do that, and it makes them big old jerks for doing it. But legally, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Especially since if they wanted to save face, there are so many ways that they could save face for it. I'm aware that there's this claim that they said that it was exclusive originally. A very easy problem to get around. 
it's as easy as just being quiet when people like me are posting it up. But it's ridiculous. It's just stupidity. And now the fact that they're not letting people publish a comprehensive rulebook, which would make understanding their myriad number of individual rules easier. Uh. Yeah, but in all fairness, it sounds like they, they don't let people publish the comprehensive rulebook with their formatting and style. If it was just a text document, they wouldn't mind. So many other people, when I, I've helped out with making player aids for Castles of Burgundy, for mostly a bunch of Feld games, mm-hmm. for plant stuff, uh, uh, you know, myriad things. I remember when I was helping make, uh, or helping, when I was volunteering to make a draft deck, a personal draft deck for um, Ashes, I asked Plaid Hat for access to resources for the icons, and they said, sure, here. Just understand you can't use it for copyright violation or anything like that, and the subject, terms and conditions, whatever it was. They were fine with me using it. You look over at Gloomhaven. There's a whole creator's pack for Gloomhaven that's put out to encourage people to make stuff. Oh, wow. Because publishers understand that it adds value. Yeah, most publishers allow it. But the, he is in his rights to say no. You, I'm you not have saying to make he's not in his rights. I'm just Don't saying he's pictures. being a jerk. <laughs> and this continues to add to the reasons why I do not support indie boards and cards on Kickstarter at all. Yeah. Yeah, even I. Like, I did some some game that I had. Well, I forget what game it is now. Some Summertime? Yeah, it's an old Cosmos 2 player game. And I went and I converted the rules to English. By, by scanning all the images of the rulebook and removing all the German text and then writing in the English text. And, you know, I asked, hey, can I publish this? And they said, sure. Exactly. So it's out in BGG? Exactly. Yeah. And all because I just wanted a readable version of the rules. So speaking of rants, I also am not particularly happy when IPs that I really like get put into board games that I really don't. <laughs> I think I even talked about this before, but are, are you familiar with the Reckoner series by Brandon Sanderson? Brandon Sanderson? No, the I'm Reckoner not. series is a pretty cool uh, novel series. It's a trilogy. It's set in a superhero realm. Something happened that gave a bunch of people superpowers. But the problem is, is that every single one of those superheroes turned out to be villains and turned evil. And so now we're stuck in a world where the vil- where all of the superheroes taken over the world and a bunch of mini and things like that and it's just it's chaos and everything's bad and stuff like that and so step into it some regular people who are trying to fix it to a certain degree and so that's a good set of fiction by brandon sanderson and you know similar to how i was excited when the harry dresden cooperative card game came out because that was an excellent game with with an ip that i really liked this is an IP that I also really like. Mm-hmm. And it's even co-op. It's a co-op game. It plays once. Uh, it has you know custom dice. It has really nice components. It has game trays to hold all the things in it. It's got sorts of tokens and shits. And it looks pretty. But I think it's a bad game. <laughs> and that frustrates That's me. That's a shame. Yeah. You know, these days I don't I don't trust the IP game simply because I'm, I assume they're going to be bad, just because of that kind of experience. That's that's becoming less and less true, though. It is, it is. I mean, thanks to things like Lord of the Rings, exactly, and Dresden Files, yeah. But I mean, this one, this one, the creators and a one sentence summary of it said it's like co-op King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo is just rolling dice and hoping you get lucky. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's fun in its own special way. I mean, yeah, King of Tokyo was fun because the players is the challenge of, oh, do I bash them or do I not? And you have you have a standoff playing King of the Hill. That's, you're playing King of the Hill co-op. I mean, imagine if we imagine if we took for recess. I told my kids, we're going to play King of the Hill, but you're all on the same <laughs> team. So who's on the hill? Right? It's not it's that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad, but I just say it just it doesn't sound good at all, and everything looks so nice about it, and it looks so pretty. But uh. <laughs> I, I love that analogy of the King of the Hill so cooperatively. 
I could just see a bunch of kids trying to do that too. That's the part that makes it so hilarious. Right. Yeah, I'm getting more good IP games out there. We're getting more games out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still too many bad ones, but you you still have to be careful. Unless it's a really big publisher um, that you can definitely trust, you're going to have to be careful and hope that whatever you get is uh, good. Best bet is to just not buy the game if it's an IP game and wait. That's sad. And see what other people say. Or you can just listen to us and let us tell you if there's a good IP game out there that we want. And then go back it so that we get more stretch goals. <laughs> there you go. All right, speaking of stretch goals, are there any Kickstarters that you Well, I mean, that was one Kickstarter. You want more? Certainly have other Kickstarters I could talk about. Oh, yes. Was the Reckoners is currently on yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah, I didn't see you mention that. Okay, well, great segue talking about the Reckoners. <laughs> Thank you, Albert. I appreciate you realizing. Yes, Starter, if you're interested in backing the project, you can do so. Go search for the Reckoners on Kickstarter. Uh, yes, if you're looking to back a copy of the game, it's $69 for a copy of the game, and it's going to be ending on March 15th. Okay. A game that I am backed currently, which is even more expensive, Edge of Darkness by AEG. Oh, okay. What is this? Is this a zombie Probably, game? Have you ever heard of Mystic Veil? Yes. It looks really pretty. Makes me want to get it every time, but I can never get it played, so... Right, it's not solo-friendly. No. No. That's that's the biggest wrong for me. Veil, I actually think, is pretty fun. I I certainly enjoy it. Mystic Veil has an interesting card crafting mechanic that, and similar to a deck building style where you're building your deck, with this one you're build you're you're crafting cards. In addition to dra- building your deck, you're actually putting in clear sleeves, like in Gloom or that sort of thing. You're putting clear cards into sleeves so that a single card can change what it is as you play over the course of the game. So take that same thing and put it into a big worker placement game. Um, and its base is $60, but the real one, I'd say, is $100. And it's called Edge of Darkness. It's a big worker game with threat system. There's a cube tower. Each of the cards are going to be double-sided. You'll have on one side the card that you can use, and on the other side is a card that is coming from the darkness, and the darkness is going to attack you. So as you power up the cards, you make them more powerful to use, but you also run the risk that they'll be grabbed by the darkness, get corrupted, and come back and attack you in a very powerful, threatening way. And you throw cubes into the cube tower to see which one it is that they come out to attack, and it's got a whole bunch of those plastic slips and some minis for tracking your player boards, which give or take the minis. But as you keep saying through this campaign, the minis are the cheapest bonus thing that they could add to it. And they think it's like a couple pennies is what they're saying per piece in terms of their cost, which I thought was a really interesting thing for them. Like they're talking about minis. Like people look at minis wow. and they're like, oh, cool minis. We really want to have minis. And they're like, the minis cost pennies in terms of the bonus it's the cards that are the expensive part and i find that really interesting they're really they're really strong sticking to their guns but huh <laughs> i like mystic veil vale. i think it's a really fun game and if it played well solo i would be much more interested in it and hey look this plays solo they're involving the the full rules for the solo are not out but the creator has done other stuff like this and i have some level of trust in it so the game looks really good it's $100 for the real pledge, I'd say. It's $60 for the pledge that doesn't have all the expansions, so it doesn't have all the locations and things like that. And it's going to be March 23rd, and I'm backing it. I'm hoping that it gets even more stretch goals, but it's looking like it's going to get a whole bunch. It's already got a whole bunch, and it's quite bonused. So that is Edge of Darkness from AEG. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about doing these Kickstarter segments is that when we talk about the games, I go to Kickstarter, and then I start seeing stuff. And so I kind of don't like doing these segments. You want to buy things. Yeah, and so I'm looking at Knights of Fire, Battle for Budapest. Have you seen this? This is a by the same folks have made a Days of Fire, which came out, I guess, last year. It was kickstarted. It's a cooperative war game. And, you know, I remember when it came out, I said, it looks pretty, but I don't know, cooperative war game. It's not going to be that good. So I didn't back it. How do you spell it? Because I'm not finding it. This one is Knights of Fire. And Knights I, as in K or as in N? A good night. So like a good night, like a person who wears armor. No, very good. like good night, go to sleep already, kids. Why are you still up? That kind of good night. <laughs> you can relate to that one, can't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> I just sent you the link. Yeah, and so so the, the Days of Fire, I was like, ah, it's not going to be that good. So I didn't back it. 
you know, I, I think I kind of said that trying to convince myself out of it, and it worked. And it came out, and it was really good. It's like, oh, I wish I'd backed it. And now, so here's another one. It's one, two, three players. Um, the first one was, I don't remember the time frame. I think it was similar to this one. This is set in 1956, October of 1956, when um, the Soviets, I guess, are attacking uh, Budapest, Hungary. And I guess you as the players are mainly fighting against the Soviets, or one person, you could play cooperatively, or you could play against a live opponent. So it's either solo or cooperative by two people, or one or two people against the Soviet troops. Uh, and it sure looks neat. One of the things I really like, it's got these blocks that stand up, so I guess it's sort of like, you know, one of these Columbia block games where your opponent can't see your pieces at all, or or Stratego, if you're not familiar with Columbia games. Um... And it just looks really nice. I want to get that. I don't know anything else about it because I just stumbled upon it now. Nice, Albert. But there we go. One thing they do that is interesting is they have a $20 pledge, and all that does is give you access to Pledge Manager. right? So that later on you can give them more money and actually get the game. I I find that interesting because $20 is a little bit of a lot to, to not commit. Yeah, usually the, when I've seen that before, it's usually you only need a dollar to keep it. Yeah. But. Yeah. And so the game is $43 for the basic level. And that'll get you Knights of Iron, Battle for Budapest, and something called Yuri and Noel. I'm not sure what that is, honestly. I'm sorry, because like I said, I just stumbled across this. That is the same thing as available in the $20 Pledge Manager, Yuri and Noel. For $78, you could get both. Oh, you could get the, the new Knights of Fire and the Days and Nights expansion pack, which has a bunch of miniatures. And let me see, I'm sure somewhere, here we go, or for 83, you could get the new game and the Days of Fire. Both of them are 1956. Both of them are Budapest. Okay, that's right, Battle Budapest 1956. So it looks like these are two related games, similar setting. I'm going to stop talking about it, because at this point I'm getting into the territory of I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go look at the Kickstarter games page anymore, though. Do you have any more Kickstarters you want to talk about? Well, I think with the ringing sounds of with, with the ringing frustration like that, I don't think I want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Go ahead, I'll listen. Well, I mean, I have been wanting to talk about Space Park, which is another Kickstarter game. Oh, that looks nice, yeah. Yeah, it does look really <laughs> nice. It is a I'm not quite sure if you call it worker placement because everyone shares workers in this game. You have nine locations in a circle, uh, a rondelle, I suppose. And you'll have workers spread around it, and you'll move those workers around to take one of the various actions. And this is a point collection game where you're trying to trade in resources to make points, to get things, to go around. Uh, Cool-looking space-themed game. Uh, interesting interesting components, interesting things to look at. If you're interested in it, uh, feel free to take more of a look at it. It's, it's not an expensive game. It's $29 to get one copy of it, and it ends mm. March 8th. Okay. And it's got a... I like the artwork on the cards. Is that cards or a mat or something? That is... Well, that's location tiles. Okay. They look really nice. They they sort of remind me of old-style um, National Park tourist posters. It's supposed to remind you of old-style... Uh, like sci-fi books? Old-style sci-fi books, yes. Thank you. Yeah, that's and it, it does that too. Like. But the first thing I thought of was uh, National Park posters. Mm-hmm. I hear that. That's pretty. So the cards are pretty plain. True. Surprisingly so. But that is Space Park. And that's really all the Kickstarter I want to talk about. Shall we talk about some published games, Albert? Yeah, yeah. Do you know any? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so today we're gonna to be talking about Unicornus Knight. Uh Unicornus Knight is a game that I've talked about before, I believe, mm-hmm. about them and their rule book. But if not, we're going to be going over to here. Got a big box. This is a escort mission, essentially. There is the Unicornist Knight, the princess, who is trying to free the, the evil empire and create the kingdom. And she's trying to rush through the whole thing. And it's your job to escort her, make sure that she gets there safely so that she can free the kingdom from the empire. So essentially, it's Escort Mission, the game, and that's probably the best way to summarize the game. This is a, quote, big in Japan game, and I say that because that's what they print on the outside of the box. This is a game that 
looks Japanese and was taken over from Japan in order to sort of, you know, let us Westerners experience some of the stuff that is big in Japan, which is fun and interesting to be able to have some of. Mm-hmm. That is a good summary of Unicornist Knights. Shall we talk about the rules, Albert? Yes, please. Okay. Um, oh, God, where do I start? Oh, man, these rules are the worst. <laughs> They're that good? They are the worst. The The game comes initially with a set of rules that feels like they were just translated poorly or not written well, and... They're they're so confusing. They're so hard to understand. I figure out how to do it, and they're overly complicated. Let, let me give you an example of it. When you're doing the setup for it, so you're supposed you have a certain amount of kingdom good tiles. the The game comes with these map tiles. Think a la uh, Mage Knight, but you have the hex tiles that all put together to make up the board. So you set all those up initially. So you have the good tiles, which go along one border and all the rest of it. So the middle and the other border are all the bad tiles. So you're supposed to shuffle them up, put them on one border, shuffle up all the other ones, put them on the other border, but it makes it really complicated. The rules because it sets it up so that there's these sort of like four tiers of how you set them up. And then you shuffle those together, except that you unshuffle them to put the right ones in the right place. And, <laughs> yeah, you lost me. <laughs> right. And I tried to understand it the first time I did it in the rulebook, and I got through it all. I'm like, well, why didn't they just write it like this? That would have been the simpler way to do it. And lo and behold, at one point in time, AG digitally published a version two of the rules, which are available on their website, on BGG, and places like that. Fixes some of it, but they were starting off really behind the curve, and it didn't even fix it all of it. Let me give you another example of what's still confusing even to the final version of the game. At one point in time, like I said, you're doing escort missions, so you're the good guys, you're going up to beat the bad guys. When you go to meet the bad guys, you're going to do a dice roll. So you pick up however many dice you're supposed to have and you roll them out. And then your character card says which type of dice equate to which type of hits. There's a hit, there's a miss, and there's a skull, which I don't even know if it talks about. It's just, it's a damage, I think is what they call it. And you have to assign those to the characters. And based on where you assign it is whether or not you can move on to do damage to the main bad guy, or if you're only defeating henchmen, or if you are taking damage and moving on, or if you just simply don't move on. And sometimes you have to assign the skull dice. Sometimes you don't have to assign the skull dice. And it could have been a better way of reading, of writing it. Usually when I explain the rules, I explain the rules much different than they wrote the rules because there are better ways of getting across the concept. And they just didn't write that well. Hmm. Uh, Frustrating. Ugh. Very. That said, I mean, there's actually some nice videos that various people put out there. The rules, I think it's called the Rules Girl, uh, put a nice rules video that summarizes the whole rule book in like five minutes, which is really good. And there's some good ones out there that make it a lot better for learning the rules than the rule book. There's some good ones on BGG that make it a better way to learn the rules than the rule book. But that's the first point of buyer beware is that the rules seriously need work. Okay. And I mean, yeah. And there's not an intro version. There's not a tutorial. Well, there's a there's a mini tutorial which is very very brief, and you still need to read the whole rules in order to do the tutorial. The tutorial is just saying, "Hey, have a very short game." <laughs> it's not like when we were talking about too many bones. The tutorial was the learn to play. We walked you through step by step how to do this. The tutorial mode is making a mini version of the game, and it's just a tutorial mode. It's not a learn to play. They didn't include any of that. Okay, okay. I'm done talking about the rules. You know, that's the rules. Hearing Negative that, the rules, rules like that scare me away from a game more than anything else. Usually, Un- undesirable rules are just okay. the worst. Let's talk about the rest of our rubric, though. Yeah. Theme. The theme of this one. I hate to say it like this. The theme of this one is anime. <laughs> There's a comic at the beginning of the of the rules that leads you through the kind of um, 
theme of it. Like it's just the emperor had enlisted the aid of evil forces with them. The might of the Imperial army was truly overwhelming and claimed most of the kingdom on its own. It feels like really corny anime. <laughs> all the art feels like corny anime. There's a fate deck that does all sorts of random things like, Oh, he just randomly fell in love with you because anime. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're a fan of anime. I like anime. Um, I don't like corny anime. Yeah. But this just feels like corny anime, and it really does it. Yeah, I don't follow anime as much as I used to. My daughter has gotten into it recently. I'm thinking she might like this game. Yeah. This might be fair. I mean, and it really does feel like that. All the art is very anime-style art, mm-hmm. including, yep. I will say, with a little bit of scantily clad women, um, a couple of which did make my wife feel uncomfortable, but then we don't really like the scantily clad woman type thing. Yeah. But there's Which so many really popular anime. Yeah, there's tons of cards, right? So you could kind of ignore those. Well, it's it's more not it's not for the cards. It's actually for the uh, evil characters. Ah, okay. Are, are somewhat, and most of the evil characters come out each game. You'll have a couple that don't come out. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, you'll you'll see the scantily clad characters in most games, and whatever. It's it's anime, and I feel like they do it all the time in anime. Just gratuitously and it's kind of gratuitous here but the theme really does come through and i like anime and i find it kind of funny like if this were a more light-hearted type game i would think the anime type stuff is funny just because it's really over the top type anime especially with like oh randomly fell in love or oh randomly you're bitter enemies and just that sort of stuff <laughs> if it were a little more lighthearted, i would really love that and i just think it's a fun theme i think it's fun and it very much feels like this is a big in Japan game because this feels like a Japanese anime game. <laughs> so that's for theme. Theme, it really nails on its theme. Going on to components. Um, for components, I'm going to just say that I'm essentially neutral on that. The game comes with a bunch of, well, comes with a bunch of enemy cards and a bunch of your character cards. I like all the art. All the art is really well done, really nice. All of this art style, all of that is really good. Um, the differentiation on the tiles between the different types of land, there's little icons that will tell you if you don't know what they are, what those land things do, which is really convenient for understanding it, but also all the different types of lands. They're intuitive what they are, and they're intuitive how they look, and they all look very different. So it's easy to recognize as a glance mm-hmm. across this big board what the different types of land are. And all of the art style is very nice. All of it looks really good. The graphic design is really good. Um, I kind of wish there's damage tokens and resource tokens, which are just plain squares. I kind of wish that they were actually shaped punch board instead of just square punch board. Mm-hmm. Um, but the art style is all really nice. It's it's good. It's all pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. Borders Borders between good and fine. Okay. I find the the hex tiles interesting because they're round. Yes. The hex tiles are round, and they tried to do that for a reason. Unlike in Mage Knight, where they all interlock very nicely, these yeah. ones have a rounded edge to them. And the reason for that is because many of the card abilities refer to areas, which is one full hex tile. And so they wanted to make that border very apparent. So even okay. though it makes it a little bit harder to do setup because it doesn't mesh nicely like in Mage Knight, yeah. A, it looks different and it looks cool on the table. It's not that difficult to set up. And B, they C, they needed it for the rules. They needed to really strongly differentiate between areas, and you sometimes miss it in Mage Knight, especially if you're like focused in. It's a very important thing to understand areas in this game. Okay. And yeah, so cool that makes style. sense. I was worried that they're going to be a little fiddly when you're playing, that they could easily get moved and jostled around and be hard to keep the board straight. But but if it makes a difference in terms of gameplay, then that gets it. It makes a, a, a difference compromise. in terms of gameplay. So, yeah, it has to be a fair compromise. They could have made it so that there's a border around each one and that they come together, they, they come together tighter. But in the end, even if they jostle a little bit, it's not that hard to tell adjacency between these bubbles. It's fine. <laughs> you know, even if they get jostled a little bit, as long as you're not having someone who's flipping the table on you, you should be okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Okay. I'm okay with yep. it. 
Um, another interesting thing that they did is the character cards are all large size. They're probably about two, uh, the width of two poker cards put together, two standard cards put together. Because in the game you have 12 or 13 of them out in addition to your kingdom cards, having and you need to be able to see all of those stats because all of the empire cards, all the bad guys are in play and a bunch of good guys are in play. It can be a little overwhelming the amount of cards they are, and that can really eat a bunch of table space. If they had made some of those cards onto um, single poker sides, even if they would, you know, it would have made it harder to shuffle out the deck, but it would have cut the amount of table space needed in half. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have preferred to have, you know, that be the the loss instead because it takes so much table space and it's so hard to go through all those, and you need to be able to see all of those at once. So I kind of wish they had come up with a way of making those into single, into normal size cards, just because it takes so much table space. Yeah. And these character cards, are they the villains or are they player characters or both? Both. You have princess character cards, kingdom character cards, and empire character cards. Empire is the bad guy. And so there's going to be a bunch of characters across the board. There's going to be the kingdom, which is the good guys. And so you'll have between three to six characters, um, out at a time and each of them have their own character card and so that's the players and you'll have one princess character card which is the princess that you're escorting along okay and I'm looking at the pictures on BGG and I can't really tell them apart maybe I'm just looking at the bad ones nope no real way of telling them apart oh that's annoying that, that's actually, that actually may be a, a con for it um mm. I mean, there are ways to tell them apart. The easiest way to tell them apart is the back of the... For your cards, oh. it's not that bad because the back of your cards are completely different colored. But the standees standing up, there's like some tips and tricks that you don't realize because it's not spelled out in the rules. Like the aggressive guys have the red background. It's not mentioned. You just happen to notice it. And mm-hmm. there's not there's not a border that's different between the empires and the characters and the kingdom so the good guys and the bad guys, the standees all look the same. You just have to go through and sort between all the standees and figure it all out. Okay. That's an interesting design choice. I mean, the princess, you could tell. It says the princess. Well, she's the princess. She's, <laughs> yeah. And she's, she's hard to forget. She's on the yeah. top. She's on the board of the box. But it's it's just you have to remember her and you have to note all of them. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I thought these characters were player characters. And say, wow, this game brings a lot of characters to choose from. That's awesome. It does. There's twelve. There's twelve player characters to choose. Okay, from. but I mean, I thought it was like thirty or forty or something. Like, this is amazing. There's twelve player characters <laughs> and fifteen bad guys. Okay. So, and then there's going to be one of four princesses each game. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of replayability on the number of characters you have. Yeah, that that is pretty nice. So I, that sort of started us to talk about gameplay, but let me talk about gameplay a bit more. Let me take this step by step for setup. When you're setting up the board, you already have to take all those hexes that I talked about and lay them out in a big giant hex, um, similar to Mage Knight style, but all of these are face up. So you have to put them all face out, and then each hex tile is going to have either an Empire character on it or a Kingdom character on it. So you have to go through the big pile of 30 standees, 28 standees, excuse me, about 30 standees, and figure out which ones are going to which itty bitty picture, minuscule little picture, <laughs> and put them on their spot. And then each one of the bad tiles, each one of the empire tiles, will have a bunch of hexes on that tile, will have military strength on it. So you have to pull out military tokens. So there's a hundred of these tokens. And put them all on the board. So it may be that five out of six of the hexes require three military tokens. All military tokens are double-sided, so you have to sort through, make sure that you flip mode the right side so you don't forget later being like, oh, I already defeated this place because it's only got one when you were supposed to put it on the three side to begin with. So, I, I don't know. This game sounds interesting, but it sounds like there's a lot of fiddliness to it. Yeah, setup is very fiddly. This was a game, actually, that I wanted to play after I'd done the review i wanted to do a live play of this and in all honesty i couldn't convince myself to take it out to do the setup to do the live play (laughs) i just couldn't convince myself to do it 
I apologize to the listeners that I was lazy. I just couldn't. After I had played it enough times that I was able to review it, I just couldn't bring myself to do it again. Just to the live play, I never felt motivated to do it, and a big re- big reason is because the setup is a pain. Having to find all the standees, put them in the right place, and find all of the military tokens and put them on their place, mm-hmm. it's a it feels cumbersome having to do. It feels annoying having to do. How long does the setup take? You think? I don't know. It it it's it may not even take that long, but it's annoying and repetitive right. and minute. You know, I'm okay shuffling decks because I don't have to really look and stare at the decks that I'm doing. I can look somewhere else, do something, even chat. But if if I have a whole group of six, all of us have to focus on this in order to be able to set it up. <laughs> so yes, setup is certainly fiddly. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. You know, so, some games may take a long time to set up, but but it's fun and it, it's you know you don't mind. Right. But in some games. Maybe like five minutes and you just don't want to play it because it's just right. five minutes. And I don't mind setting up Mage Knight. Mage Knight feels easier to set up than this one. That's interesting. I don't know why. It just does. Even though I think that it probably has as much setup required as Mage Knight. This one just feels... <laughs> wow, um, okay. Mage oh. Knight's not a small game to set up if I remember. I haven't played Mage Knight. I played the Star Trek one and yeah, that wasn't super easy, but... but it wasn't anyway, right. so that's talking about setup. Let's continue talking about the game. Yeah, yeah. So once you have everything set up, uh, at that point in time, there's only going to be six steps of the game. So you start at the round, which is just start the round effects. You have event steps. You'll There's a deck of event cards, and you'll draw one of those event cards and can do different things. I like these event cards. It means that there's more playability. It means that it's not the same exact thing every round. Stuff gets changed around. I like these event cards. You then have the player step. With the player step, you're supposed to start with starting player. You go clockwise around the board, and everyone who does... Actions can now take actions. The amount of actions you take is based on the number of players. But in general, I think what they're looking for is... I think they're looking for like 12 or so actions per total or something like that. I don't really get what they're doing. But you're supposed to take actions split up across them, and there's a chart that you consult. And so your actions are you can recruit, which means you can gather soldiers, so you get more military power. You can gather resources. Part of the idea of this is whenever you move, you have to spend resources to move, and the amount of resources is equal to the amount of military power you have. But you need military power because when you go to fight, the amount that you can fight is based on how much military power you have. You get more dice if you have more military power. But it takes logistics to be able to move around the board with military power. And you can't just recruit everywhere. It's usually easier to recruit back in your home space, but you have to carry them all the way over, which takes a bunch of resources. And it's very logistics. That puzzle of how to put together what you're doing has a whole bunch of logistics involved. To add to the logistics involvement in there, you can also send either resources or military power tokens to another player in an adjacent area or in the same area. So you're sending things around, you're sending the princess, you're sending it to other players. You'll send it like, okay, one character is going to sit here. He's just going to keep grabbing resources. One character's going to keep grabbing troops. They're going to all send it over to the front lines. The front lines going to do battle, do battle and help the princess. And you'll sort of divide and conquer because different players have different cool player powers that may mesh into things. So between the, the logistics puzzle of all those things, that's what you're going to be doing on your player turn. Of note, according to the rules, you have to take that player turn in player order. This can be annoying. And in fact, <laughs> after a couple games of it, I stopped doing that. I played it more Arkham Horror style. In Arkham Horror, the card game, everyone has to take a turn, but you can take that turn in however order you want. This is a logistics puzzle game. In addition to escort, you're trying to figure out how to do the logistics of moving everyone along and keeping everyone alive so that the princess can get there and do her thing. That logistics is a lot easier and, in my opinion, more fun when you can just run the logistics how you want rather than being stuck in turn order. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't let you do that. G- games with turn order to me always feel um, out- out- outdated. It feels like an outdated mechanism. Yes. 
after a while, I just simply said, you don't need to do an in-turn order. Let's just do this Arkham Horror style. And everyone can take their turn whenever they want. And we can run the logistics however we want. And that was a lot more fun. I don't know why they didn't do that. Hmm. Probably because, you know, it's in Japan, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe they just have a different way to do games. I don't know. But we'll throw that in there as another con. Continuing on along. So after everyone's taken their turn, you'll then do the princess step. The princess step is where she is, she's very single-minded. She is very powerful. Nothing stops her. She just rolls right over things. But she also cares nothing for defense. So every time she does a damage, she takes a damage. Now that damage can go to throw away troops that are coming with her. Um, but in general, you don't want her to take damage because you don't want her to take actual health damage. You just want her to go throw away troops because you want her to get all the way through to the end. She doesn't ever roll dice to defeat things. She just, she just kills that. That's awesome. She's very powerful. Right. So you're escorting her along. And so during the princess step, she just moves along. And for the most part, it's pretty scripted how she just goes. She just goes straight. That's the princess step. You then have to do the enemy step. And the enemy step is where some enemies will chase after you if they're adjacent. Some enemies will chase after you if they're in an adjacent area. Some enemies won't move at all. Some enemies will just move and attack you. And then you have to do more battles. So you roll more dice. And then you do the end of round. Uh, and that's basically the turn for, that's the order for the game. One thing I didn't mention that I'm going through this are the fate cards. So whenever you are in the, whenever you have a bad character who hasn't already had a fate card, um, in the same area or an adjacent space as a player character or the princess, they're bound by fate. So you draw a fate card. And this is the ones that I'm talking about that a random can have them fall in love or at random you can have them get paid off, or at random they can become bitter enemies and become even worse or single-mindedly chase after them. It is the deck of random stuff happens. Or you could just draw a card that says nothing happens at all. It is the deck of random stuff. <laughs> it happens once, almost once per character per game. And there have been some games that I've all set up to win and i draw a fake card and the fake card says you cannot win until this character is beat i'm like uh, he's on the other end of the board uh, jerk game <laughs> i hate that jerk and there's been some games that i'm i get up to it and i'm like okay i have to defeat this character this is the linchpin character if i can defeat him then i'm going to do it so i put all my resources into this i move in and the Draws comes up and says, if it's a character of the opposite sex, then they fall in love and that's it. I'm like, really? Well, there goes that linchpin. Let's move on in and win and <laughs> win. And that's the fate cards. It, they can be so random. And I'll tell you, this is probably, we've talked about the setup and the rules being being bad parts. For me, the fate cards are probably the worst part of the game and they probably killed this game for me. Yeah, I was going to hazard a guess and say you didn't really like the game so much. I, well, <laughs> well, we'll get back to that in my final, well, my final review. Okay, because that could be this, wrong. This fate card could have been better. If these fate cards always had a good and a bad on them and they were balanced, so it can either be really good and really bad, or minor good and minor bad. If they always had a balance to them so that every fate card had about the same level of effect, that would be mm -hmm. cool because it would continue to have randomness, but it would always have some randomness that continues to, to move the game along and you can do things with. This way, it can be like, oh, you win, or oh, you lose, or oh, nothing happens. And just the total randomness of it uh, is annoying. The total randomness of it is annoying, and I just don't like how random it is when it could have been fixed. If that Fate deck was reworked to be sort of an, a parody between all of them, I would have I would have liked the game a lot more had that Fate card been different. But the Fate cards are just so random that they're annoying, which means that I have to treat the game like a lighter game that can just be won or lost by luck. Mm -hmm. And because there's so much dice, I have to treat it because it's won or lost because of luck. But I, I talked before about how it's a complicated escort logistics puzzle. And you have to sit and think it out. And you have to sit and plan it all out. And it's hard to win. And it really rewards you sitting and planning and thinking it out. It record, rewards you taking it seriously. But then they throw in fake cards that prevent you from taking it seriously. So which do you want it, game? 
Which way do you want it? <laughs> Can't you just throw out those uh, fake, fake cards? cards? Yeah, yeah, you yeah you can. I won't say I didn't do that, but yeah, you can. <laughs> we, we, we may have started doing some house rules. I think I've already maybe mentioned two of those. Yeah, you can throw out the fake cards. <laughs> you, you can play without the fake cards. There's nothing stopping you. That's funny. <laughs> My, my fake card deck suddenly became always nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's that's all that. I think I've done just about everything for um, gameplay here. Let's talk about solo. Solo is quite simple. Play as multiple characters. Mm-hmm. That's it. Your typical co-op. Doing that is going to tax your... Yeah, typical co-op. It's going to tax your brain hard. You actually have a minimum of three characters that you have to play at a time when you're doing this game. So it requires three. And I actually think that the designer recommended four, which taxes your brain quite a large amount because, again, it's a thinky logistics puzzle trying to figure out how you're going to escort the princess. There have been many times when, again, I'm, I'm sitting thinking all this out and I move through it, and it's difficult. But, yeah, that's solo. Take that as you will. Okay. Albert, let me share some surprises with you about this game. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't hate it. What? I don't hate it. <laughs> you don't I hate actually, it? I don't hate it. Well, I had to ring an endorsement. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I've said so many cons that I think the best I can do for this is I don't hate it. Yep. If, if I could pay someone to set it up for me... <laughs> or or how about this if someone would come and set the game up for me and burn the fate cards for me i might actually really like the game the logistics puzzle is fun the escort mission is mm-hmm. fun the idea of an overpowered princess who just charges through single mindedly and your job is to sort of create a cushion barrier is cool this is not like any other co-op that i know of most of the co-ops Pandemic, Wizards Academy, all these other co-ops, there's a bad thing that happens just at a random place. And you have to go deal with the myriad of bad things that keep coming out. All these other co-ops do that. All the pandemics do it. Yeah. You know, that's... And Mice and Mystics does it. Uh, 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 Arkham Horror does it. All of them, there's a bad thing, and all these bad things keep happening. You have to keep just dealing with them. And it's always about the bad things just keep happening. This one is not about the bad things keep happening. This one is about the logistics of moving forward across the board. Very Mage Knight-like. Mage Knight, again, is Mage Knight is also really about logistics. It's about managing the resources you have in your hand to achieve your objective of getting across the board and killing things. This is also about managing the resources that you can access, managing those those, the movement, managing your soldiers, managing sending, managing the princess. It's all about managing all those things to escort the princess to get across. It's so different, and I really like that goal. That goal is such a different goal for a co-op. Mm-hmm. I just wish that the setup could have been different. I'll I'll make do with the rules. I'll make do with the rules. I don't mind bad rules so much when it's worth it to understand the rules. Mage Knight also have really bad rules, but it's definitely worth it. I wish I could say that this game is, is worth it at the end. It, it's definitely worth it. I can get somebody else to set up for me. If, I, if somebody <laughs> came up with some fake cards on BGG that were balanced, I would definitely use those fake cards. And I don't think it would be that hard to do it. A, a set of fake cards on BGG that would be a, a variant because my current variant of just lose the fake cards is not as much fun. <laughs> it's it's not. Lose the fake cards. It's not. I'd like to have decently balanced fake cards. Yeah. Just I mean, variant stuff like that, like the, those random events can be fun in games. Right. It can be fun. Y- even if they hurt you sometimes. But Yeah. I totally agree with it. It's just that they're not on parity. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And they can totally interrupt everything that you're planning. Yep, and it doesn't sound like the, those those random bed events match the rest of the gameplay because the rest of it sounds like it's pretty thinky and it, it sounds so different. And then this exactly. is just throws yeah. that thinking out the window. That's exactly it. Yeah, I remember playing some other game. What was it? A Barbarian Prince. Yes. Where you're, and that's all dice rolling and all that. But and you have these random events where you're playing and you've made all this treasure and tons of points and oh, all of a sudden your old crew died and you lost almost everything. Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> well, that's yeah. fine. That was that's fun. Exactly what it <laughs> and that was all dice rolling, so who cared, right? But but here, yeah, spending all that effort, coming up with a solid solid strategy, and finding out because of a, a card, it didn't matter. But the problem is, is I really like so many other things mm-hmm. about this game. It has a nice. It's a different art style. It's not something you normally see. It's got good to decent components. It's got different mechanics than so many other things. It's it's such a breath of fresh air what was done with it that it just didn't quite get all the way. So I, I'm not going to give it a thumbs down. I can't give it a thumbs down because I want to play it. I just don't want to set it up. <laughs> I want it to be all set up for me so I can go through it and enjoy the logistics. In fact, I'd like somebody to play like the first couple rounds uh, because the first couple <laughs> rounds are sort of like setting up your logistics and getting started with the thing. So you know, hire somebody to play to set up the game and play the first two rounds <laughs> exactly. for you, and they just take over. Exactly, because a lot of times, like you get to the end of it, you're like, okay, I've got like three turns to get her here. If I can't do it now, I'm behind. I'm not gonna do it. Oh, I like it. I like it so much. Mm. If this game was an app, you'd love it. Maybe. If this game is an app where I can turn off the fate cards, I would definitely love it. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 probably very true. But it's not. <laughs> So I, I'm not going to give it a thumbs down because I really like where they're going with it, but I can't give it a thumbs up either. So it's just going to be a neutral. Okay, no thumbs for you. No thumbs. And I wish I could give it a thumbs up. I wish I could. Do you know if there's any expansions planned or anything like that for this game? No idea. I highly doubt that this is going to be popular enough to get any sort of expansions. I mean, they're not even talking about republishing physical copies of the readable rulebook of the usable rule book. Literally, if you buy this game, you're going to need to go online and read the digital. Unless it sells so well, they do a second printing and that's not going to happen. I, I think Vassal's law in reverse is going to apply. Vassal's law being that a good game is going to get a reprint. Okay. Mm, the converse is probably also true. I'm hoping that other people let somebody else listen to me and hear me say, this idea of a logistics quest with an escort mission is a cool co-op and do it better. This, <laughs> That's what I want. This seems sort of like the typical AEG thing. I, I, I hate to say this, but it seems like sometimes they make these really great games and sometimes they make really mediocre games. But but uh, on, their, on the scale of average games, it's I think it's a little bit below average. It's like they get all the fantasy flight hand-me-downs. Maybe. But I mean, some AEG games. I, you know, that's hard to say. There's some AEG games that are really good. Oh, there, there, there are absolutely. I mean, there's some that have been really fun. I, I love trains, right? I loved. Um, right. My son and I have been playing ninjas a lot. Love that. And we talked about Mystic Veil. Vale. Mystic Veil, vale. but then you know, Captain is Dead is now by them, and they do these great games. But so many times it seems like they they do these crazy things that just drop the ball. And it's like. Yeah. I guess they just take chances, and the chances either work out really well or really bad. And this is a game that I'm There's happy that in, they took in, a chance on, because, again, I really like the... It's so different from your normal co-op. So, yeah. that is Unicornist Nights. I'm sorry, my friends. All right. Well, there we go. And an interesting review of the game. I don't know what to think at this point. I'm tempted to get it, but I, I think you know, I should stay away from it. I just don't know what to think. Ooh, Istanbul was good. Love Letter was good. Uh, was Istanbul then? Thunderstone. Valley of the Kings. Valley of the Kings. Valley good. of the Kings. I was underwhelmed by that one. It's good. It's a it's a light, easy... It, mm-hmm. it makes for a good, shorter game. There's I, I, My Thursday night games, when I'm meeting with people on a weeknight, in a weeknight, a simple 30-minute game that hits the spot. It's good. Dice City. Hmm. Dice City is another good one. Dice City is fun. That's them also? Yeah. Yeah. But see, all these games you mentioned are also very unique, very innovative. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. They they take chances every time, and and some of the chances they take are awesome, and some just flop. There's no, like, middle-of-the-road game. But I want them to keep taking chances. (laughs) No, yeah, no, it's great. I I agree. I, I was just noticing that. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Alrighty, AG. Keep up the good work. <laughs> and thanks for listening, everyone. Come back in a few weeks. Good night. Keep up the fight. Alright, unicorns! Oh, it's because the princess is riding the unicorn, isn't she? Yes, she is. Yes, she's got the silver-white unicorn.
All right. So now we have some music playing. Then we come back. We're going to talk about Unicorn's Night. You ready, Albert? Let's do this.